Hey, what's up? It's Mr. Bill. The track you're listening to right now is the result of a 35-hour tutorial series where I recorded the process of making this song from start to finish and explained myself along the way. If you're interested in learning how to make music or sharpening your craft, go to mrbillstunes.com and check it out. Enjoy the tune. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Sick. All right, man. Welcome back to the to the podcast. It's been a while since you've been on. Yes. Last time we were in real life, and now we're doing the technology version. Yeah, it's funny that like sometimes if you're sort of forced to find a new way of doing things, you find like a better way to do it. Kind of. There's actually a study about this where like um, there was a bunch of people who were told to find a new way to work versus like the current way that they got to work. So if they like originally caught a bus, then maybe they would have to go find a train or maybe they'd have to drive or something like that. And then they like got asked questions after the study and a bunch of them thought that like the new way that they found to get to work was better than the old way that they had been doing. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, pressure makes diamonds, right? Yeah, <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, in this analogy, getting to work on the train instead of the bus is a diamond. Yes, correct. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so before, were you doing every episode, like, in person, or...? Yeah, and originally wow. the idea was, like, I'm never going to not do them in person. And then, I, I don't know, I just, through COVID, obviously, didn't want to, like, just stop the podcast completely. So um, I started doing them online. And, yeah, now it just makes a lot more sense to do them online because... Now I can kind of just do them with anybody at any time versus before I would have to limit myself to just people who I'd be in the same city with whilst doing a show or something like that. So okay. that, yeah. that's what I was going to ask because you have so many episodes that you did in person, which is like... Only like 20. 20? Oh, okay. Yeah, I think it was All the right. first um, 20 or 30 that were in person and then or it might have even been 40, I don't know, but it was like... Yeah, definitely less have been done in person than have been done online now. So are you recording more episodes now or? Yeah, I'm trying to. Uh, I think we're on, this would be like episode 150 maybe or something like about that. We're, yeah, we're in like the sort of mid hundreds at the moment. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, because I live in Vegas now, right? So and mm. I go back to California all the time, and every time I'm in the car, I was just on the Willie Joy podcast, right? And how was that? It was really fun. Like we, I never talked to him before, but I've obviously listened to him talk a lot, and yeah, we hit mm. it off immediately. But um, my point is, is that those drives, I would listen to you two guys talk all the time to like keep me awake <laughs> and engaged. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Listen to. So, uh, all, almost all of your episodes. I have favorites though. My favorite one is the Mick Gordon one. 
Yeah, that guy's an insane genius, man. Like he's Super yeah, it was genius. so sick to have him on. I got to get him on again because I haven't talked to him in a while. I want to talk yeah. to him about the kerfuffle between him and Bethesda because I oh, know that there's, yeah. there's some there's some issue there. I'm not really exactly sure of the details there. That might be a sensitive topic, but I'm, I mean, I'm sure he's got a lot to say about <laughs> it. Yeah. 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 Speaking of sensitive topics, uh, the other day oh, I was asking you about <laughs> Volga using Holocaust footage in their set, oh, and you were no. like, "Oh," and you were like, "Oh, I have some thoughts about that." So I'm, cu I'm curious. Oh what no. I okay. I don't want to get. This is like way too problematic of a topic, right? So I'm not going to get super deep into it. Obviously, the whole thing is really fucking terrible. Like showcasing horrible things in front of a gigantic audience. Mm. That being said, I think there are some interesting connotations that go along with it, right? Like along with the violence that a lot of people put into their sets and what that means and like the the area between where like something becomes okay and not, right? And I think a lot of people would say, "Oh yeah, well, as soon as it's like when it's fictional, it's okay." And then as soon as it becomes real, it's not. And I find that really interesting as to like the deeper meaning of all that. And my second thought is, I think it could have been an interesting <clears throat> like power move if one of them were was like, you know, from a Jewish descent and was like, hey, guys, look at what's happening in the world. This is shit that happened, right? If it was framed like that, but that's not the connotation of what was happening. It was just like, oh, we're interspersing real life horrible atrocities um, amongst other things that we think are just shocking. And you know, does but that make it, sense? It was a mistake, right? Like they came out and apologized and said that. They did. From, yes. from my understanding, they were just like ripping clips from YouTube that would yeah. that were just like random gore clips and that one was tagged with the, the yeah. hashtag Contagion. So they thought that it was from the movie Contagion, but it actually turned out to be. Uh, yeah. For anyone who doesn't know what we're talking a, about, there's this um, oh, yeah, go ahead. dubstep yeah. act called Volga. And at Lost Lands, uh, during their set, they had a one visual clip that played for about three seconds that was literal, actual Holocaust footage. Horrible. And, yeah, a bunch of people obviously, uh, understandably, got extremely pissed off about that. Yeah. Um, and then they apologized and said that, like, oh, we were just ripping clips off YouTube and that one was tagged with Contagion and we thought it was from the movie Contagion. Here's the thing. And, and, these, and these guys, I respect them as, like, musicians, and I know them. My thing is, is like, how do you not see that and understand the weight of it, though? Does that make sense? Like, you, like, if you were educated on the subject, you would be able to instantly realize that that is like what it is, and it's not okay. And that's that, and that goes back to my original thing, how yeah, like we, we're it's some people find it okay to just put fake violence, and then these people didn't even realize it was fake violence because it's so everything's so shocking. Does that make sense? Mm. Right, you're saying like how is it specifically creating like a worse vibe than just all the fake violence as well? Well, I mean, no, I mean it's definitely a worse vibe. For I'm sure. just trying to find the like the, the, like a logical reasoning between all of the violence just in general and that line that you cross, which I, everyone's going to say, yeah, one's real and like one's, you know. Uh, like uh, fictional, but I don't know. I just find violence and like shock. That's what I'm saying. Like all of it's meant to be shocking. 
you know? Right. And, yeah, but, I, but I thought it was funny <laughs> that they're in... I didn't even know these guys before this. And I, I thought it was funny that um, when I looked into their brand a little more, they were like, fuck everything. Like, if you follow us, then you are also dead in the soul and also make dubstep hard again and, like, all this shit. And then as soon as they get called out, instead of uh, following with their brand and being like, well, fuck you. Like, this is what you get for coming to a vulgar show or whatever. They, like, back down and apologize and all this shit, which completely, like, well, undermines uh, their entire brand, I feel no, like. It, it does, but it's also the right thing to do because it it's, fu- it's right fucked thing up. To do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I just thought it was funny because, like, you would expect someone with that kind of brand maybe to just, like, Andrew Tate the situation and just, like, double At down the end or something. Of- at the end of the well, yeah, it's not Andrew Tate. This is like the right. electronic music scene, and it's meant to be like yeah, yeah. fun and like accepting and like let people in, like everybody. And when you're showing like l- l- largest hate crime and humanity, I mean, there's okay, there's other l- massively large hate crimes, but one of the largest hate crimes in humanity, like that, doesn't feel accepting and it doesn't feel like fun to be at an electronic music event. For sure. Also, it's kind of like sketchy that they're just ripping clips off YouTube as well. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that's a. Is it standard for people to just rip clips off YouTube for visuals? Yes. yes. Really? Yeah. Have you done that? Mm hmm. Oh, wow. Well, no, not, not YouTube, not YouTube. Um, oh, okay. It's I fine. Don't it's not YouTube. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I have some like. Um, I'm trying to phase them all out. It's just, it's taking some time. I mean, I have so much original content that I've made myself, like, th- like 3D arts, or I've hired other artists to make as well. But I still do have some clips that, there's this really cool website, I forget the name, but it's just uh, people that make these like really high res GIFs. They're like 1080p GIFs at, from like peak anime. I need to close Discord because I'm going to get annoyed the, this entire time. Um, <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, so I have some clips from, like, Ghost in the Shell, uh, mm. Akira, all these, like, classic, like, n- 90s animes that I'm inspired by and my music is inspired by. And I've, you know, made music in the past that, you know, nods to that. Mm. But yeah, I'm I think, phasing that out. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, I think something that people don't realize with LED walls at electronic music shows, which are the standard now, basically. Of course. Um, that... Like for starters, to put an LED wall up is like three grand minimum for a small venue and for a massive festival, way more than that. Way more. Like way, way more, like 50 grand type shit, 100 grand type shit. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, people don't realize there's like a secondary cost there, which is like you put the wall up and you get someone to operate it. That's a shitload of money already. But then what are you mm. going to put on the wall? Like you need all the content and getting content made costs a shitload of money too. Exactly. And then you also need someone to operate the visuals who's going to run the visuals, not just like right. run the LED wall, but run the content that goes up on it. It's a whole yeah. endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. I think like a, one thing that I only just started to sort of fully realize over the last few years through making or having content made myself is now when I watch a set, I like look at the, I used to look at the LED wall and be like, wow, that LED wall is so expensive. Now I look at it and go like, fuck, I wonder how much all this content cost. It's <laughs> yeah. like the content is like worth more than the LED wall sometimes, you know? It is. It is. Yeah. Like you look at an is. excision set, that's like probably like half a million dollars worth of content being played through the. At, dude, at least I, I, he's been like buying some of the craziest visuals for, I don't know, like almost a decade now. 
Like, his whole catalog that he must have spent money on for visuals is definitely, like, getting close to a million, if not more. Yeah, that's kind of you know, fucking wild. And I wonder if he owns that and is able to, like, mint it as NFTs and stuff now, or if it's, you probably, yeah, I guess if you're paying that much for it, you probably own it, right? Well, yeah, I'm sure he's contracting all of it and saying this is work for hire and he owns all the rights to everything that he's purchased. He has to, mm. right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would assume... Um, cool. So I guess since you last were on the podcast, you've started a really successful dubstep label. How's, how's all that going? And what was the process like from start to where you are now? Thank you. I would not call it a dubstep label though. It's definitely dubstep focused. Okay. What's the difference? (laughs) Oh, because we released so much way, 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 way more than dubstep. I mean, obviously we did our, uh, song compilation and that was like an IBM Nero thing. True. And we've done like uh, a lot of pop records. We've done some house stuff. We've done like the underbelly stuff too, which has like it's like kind of more rock metal focused. Mm. Um, yeah, we yeah. Do, we so do I a guess it's kind of like the experimental side of dubstep then. Yeah, Expe- yeah, more yeah, more it. experimental based music, but not like what people would initially think of that. Like mm. it's not like an IDM or I don't know. It's definitely Left not dubstep. Like, it's, it's not a dubstep label like Disciple is a dubstep exactly. label. Exactly. Yeah, but it, exactly. I, I guess I still class it as that because it's like that's the sort of scene that I feel like I see most of those posts coming from is like dubstep mm. people that I consider dubstep artists. But yeah. I mean, I at this point I consider myself a dubstep artist to be honest. Yeah. Well, you've been focusing on that for the past few years for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But you're you're also so much more than that as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I guess. I try to like, I call myself a dubstep artist because it's like how I would describe it to an Uber driver. If, yeah. they, if they like asked me what I did, I'd be like, oh, I just, I don't know, I make dubstep. Yeah, you're not going to yeah, go into the details of <laughs> yeah, exactly. every single track that you've made and all the intricacies of it. Yeah. Also, at some point, I think like over labeling stuff just doesn't really have any benefit and it kind of just gets confusing. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of nice sometimes to just have a label for something and then instantly it gives you some sort of expectation as to I, what you're going to get and listen I to. I feel like it's super wrong though because if we if if like I was like yeah this is a dubstep label and then like you pulled up like the Fritz EP or something which is full on like pop music or like the Halcyon Sound Volume 2 which does have dubstep on it but it's half definitely not dubstep at all mm. you know it'd be confused like that would it would I feel like it would be misrepresenting the th- the our music yeah that's fair what's the um yeah what was the process like for starting the label um oh god i it was so i did it back in covid i've been wanting to start a label because i was really fed up with like the music industry and how exploitive a lot of labels are if you look at like a lot of the splits from some of these bigger bass music labels they're they're really tough what what kind of what do you consider i'm not gonna name names no but but like what do you consider a tough split I see a lot of labels taking like 60, 70, sometimes 80% splits constantly. And when you get to the 60%, yeah, they'll like recoup royalties and stuff. But then when you get into like the 80%, like their whole justification is like, oh, we don't recoup. But once again, the amount of money that they're spending, they have like template art. It's not that serious. Like they're spending at most $100, $200 on a release to get it out there. Mm-hmm. So it's it's neg- negligible, and 
they're just eating all this money from the artist. And as an artist, I was like, this shit sucks. Can I swear on here, by the way? Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, okay. Um, so with, with Halcyon, do you, uh, is it like case by case or do you just do 50% across the board? It, so no, we, no, we do, we give 60% to the artist. Yeah. Yeah, so so we, only yeah, take, we only take 40, but we do recoup all expenses. But all of our expenses, like, so every time we do a release, we sit down and we're like, okay, what is this? Send us a mood board. Let's chat. Let's have a talk. Mm. Let's figure out exactly what it is. If you look through a catalog, everything looks different. Obviously, there's still a bit of like a consistency because it's going through me. It's going through my team of editors who like make the final, all the final assets. So there is a bit of a vibe. But at the end of the day, I, I, I will commission, if someone's like, I want to work with this artist, this specific person, I'll hit them up and be like, okay, what is it going to cost to make this happen? And then, you mm. know, we'll figure it out and make it happen. Hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, the biggest uh, collab that I ever did, they came at me and I, I also did like probably 80% of the work on the tune. And yeah, they tried to give me a 75-25 split. And I managed exactly. to negotiate it to 70-30, but still kind of unfair seeing as I did definitely more than 50% of the work. But yeah, I think that's just how she, Like Bass Nectar, when he got cancelled, a lot of stories came out about him doing shit like that to other artists, one of which I've had on this podcast, Mimi Page. She did a vocal, like a top line for one of the most popular mm. tunes he's ever put out. I can't remember what the split was, but it was like he took like most of the money basically, and yeah. and his uh, like idea or theory behind like why it was okay to do that is because he has like the bass nectar power to basically get all this, all the listens and following and shit, and without him, the song wouldn't like do anything or be big or make any money at all. And yeah, I mean, and and that is kind of interesting. Um, I mean, that brand was. Massive, right? So, I mean, I guess at I mean, the end of the day, it's still massive. Like he's still, he's he's pissed off. Like at, at least half of his, <laughs> he's he's definitely like cut ties and pissed off. Like at least half of his fan base, and he's still big enough to like play these ridiculously massive venues. Yeah. Like he's he put on a couple of shows recently. I think a few got cancelled, and I think one is going to happen, or maybe already did happen. And they're still huge venues. They're like five, ten thousand person venues still. That's disappointing, but I guess yeah, that's hugely. the reality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, no, I think that's interesting. My, I think the thing is, is that I don't think most bass music labels have that juice that they think they have as far as really building someone up like they do. But I mean, it is expensive and it is hard to run a label and people don't understand that. But um I think a lot of these people, once again, the people who take like these 80% splits, 70, 80%, and they're like, oh yeah, we don't recoup anything. So you don't worry about like having to pay us back. It's just like, yeah, you're never going to break that like $100 threshold to get paid because they're not putting in that much effort to actually build you as an artist. And even if it does work out, um, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. But my point is, is that... I don't know what I'm saying anymore. I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> and when, when you talk about recouping costs, you're talking about like they'll pay for the mastering and artwork and stuff, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, so um, if there's any, all of the mastering work that's ever been on a house, Jan, is basically by me. But most of the time, it's just a lot of notes. 
And I'm happy to do that. Just give lots of feedback and let the artist do all of that. Be like, okay, I think this thing could get fixed. This thing can get fixed. Mm. You can bring this up a little bit. And that's all part of it. And that's not ever getting paid for. And when also when I do mastering stuff, I'm not paying, charging anybody for that. That's just because I want the record to sound the best it can. The mm. only stuff that we ever um, recoup is um, art costs. So produ like producing the, uh, the cover arts and all the animations to run a social media campaign. And then also if we do, we don't run ads on releases because no one's going to, it's just, a bur it just burns money to run an yeah, ad on release. Yeah. No one's going to click on it, but sample Probably. pack stuff, people click on those. So we recoup sample pack ad costs and those get expensive, but we're good at running those ads. Like we, we, we watch them very carefully. So if, if it's costing $10 for someone to click on that ad um, and it, the pack is 30 bucks or whatever, that's $20 in their pocket, but they still have to pay that $10 cost that we fronted to mm. run that ad. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, sample packs are definitely a solid way to make money. I did the math recently on my label, which is like two parts. It's Beleagle Beats and Beleagle Sounds. And the sounds part is all sample packs and the beats part is all music. We've put out like 50 releases and we put one release out a month basically on both labels. And I think last year, 95 or more percent of the money was made from the sound side. <laughs> like yeah, the, the beat same. side is making like yeah. no money. Yeah, it's, it's close to that. Yeah, for us as well. Labels yeah, just, just don't make money. Like it's like for me, yeah. it's just all passion. Yeah, it's a passion every, thing. Every so often you'll get a song that hits and then, okay, finally there's a little bit of money, especially with the splits that I'm taking, right, which are super low. And I also have to pay out people who like, you know, work for me do the yeah. art and all that. So it is expensive, but, uh, yeah. yeah, every so often something will hit and then, yeah, then, then money's getting made. But in general, it's going to be, I'm happy if it breaks even really, I'm happy. Mm. But you're at least not operating at a loss, right? Like, it's no, not we're not operating you. at a loss. No, we're okay. not. No. Yeah. yeah. I think as long as it's not costing you money and you don't mind doing the work and you think that it's a step forward in uh, some correct direction for your career and others careers, then I think it's worth it. Well, yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is I don't think it's, well, I don't tie my brand very heavily to the label at all. I think mm. people who know, know, but if you go to like the Halcyon page or any Halcyon pages at all, it doesn't have any association with me at all. Yeah. My pages all said that I run it. So you have to already know me to know, right? But if you discover right. the label, then there's no way you're going to ever know that it's me. So it's all mm. about building the artists, and I'm just trying to create like a like a like a scene of artists that I believe in and I want to see succeed. And um, it is a lot of work, but if they can succeed, and I can see a music industry which I love and I'm a part of, and I have been a part of for so long, like be a little more closer to my idea of it, that's a massive win. And I do make money on stuff once again, like sample packs. Um, merchandise. We have a mm -hmm. few of these left, by the way. <laughs> nice. Um, uh, yeah, sample packs, merchandise, and then shows. So when the label does well, the artists do well, that helps build the brand and we can get, you know, some cool showcases. And then I get paid, the artists get paid. And it's just, that's, that's how we make money. It's not really from music ever. Mm. And you're also kind of like creating a home for your own music, I guess, whenever you want yeah. to put that out you just have a label there ready to go that's your ideal label to release on yeah 
That Speaking is true. of which, um, you've got an album coming out soon, right? Or it might already no, be it, out? No, it, it's out. It's out. Oh, cool. When did it come out? It came out a few days. I don't know when this is going to air. It came out on the 6th, October 6th. Okay, cool. How's it doing? It's doing okay. It's a little yeah. bit of a slow burn, but <laughs> all of the feedback I've gotten on it has been like really like shockingly positive because mm. it's very different. Yeah, and I, I noticed that when I listened to it. It's like a definitely not what I would expect from an Ola Sile album, given given like the stuff that you've made in the past. So yeah, kind of interesting. Uh, I mean, obviously it makes sense. Like at some point, you just get bored of making bangers over and over again. You want to like write some more musical stuff that goes more places and has like more sort of I don't know, for lack of a better term, like artistic integrity or whatever. Yeah, yeah, How yeah. I've, oh, sorry. I was going to say, how long did it take you to write the album? Um, so it's not like a concept album or anything where I sat down and did it. It's just um, stuff that I made over like the past two, three years that I found to be the most expressive music that I've made. Like um, songs that I thought felt special and different and more me and like the music I wanted to hear more of. So I just gathered all of my favorite bits of that and compiled it in an order that I made sense. And it took a long time to kind of uh, order it and swap so many songs in and out, structured it until I was like, okay, this is a real album. This makes sense. It sounds logical from start to end. It feels good. And I obviously did a bunch of adjustments to make the songs fit cohesively together. I made an intro that ties perfectly into the first track. And a lot of the songs I continued to work on that were old songs that I revisited to refresh and make sense. So yeah, the old ideas, but at the end of the day, um, I tied them all together and cleaned them all up into something that I felt was cohesive. And also all of the, this is another thing I wanna mention, all of the art and campaigning that I did is pictures and videos that I took over that period of time as well. Oh, nice. So, yeah, it's also videos and images from the time that I was doing it that felt personal and real. So it's kind of like a three-year-long journal of music and pictures and expression. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like I do the same with albums. I don't ever sit down and go like, all right, working on the next album here. I just write a ton of shit, make shit with people like with no real goal. And then mm. I find I just get to a point every couple of years where I'm like, oh, these like 10 tunes feel like they kind of would make sense together and yeah. then sort of package it up and then start working explicitly on those 10 tunes for like a few months just to tidy them all up and that's exactly what I did. Kind of, kind of just do rounds on the tracks yeah. until you like can't do it anymore, basically, until you're just sick of them. But I have done concept albums in the past. So I did the Perceiver stuff. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's mostly no. dubstep stuff. But yeah, that was all concepted and had like a whole theme and a story. And I sat down and there was two parts of it. And I made all two parts. Basically, I made the first half of all two parts in the span of, I don't know, six months and each album took about a year to release so i was like okay after i made all these like ideas 30 songs that i wanted to tell the story with 
then I, I was like, okay, this is part one. And then I finished every single song and made part one. Mm. And then, okay, that's done part two time. And then sat down and finished everything that was part two. Mm. How do you know when a song is done? Um, well, so in the past, I would say when I just couldn't do anything else to it. But now a lot of the time I, so with this album, a lot of the songs I get 90% done in about a day or two. I leave the project open on my computer, work on it all day, go to bed, wake up, work on it all day, and it's pretty much done. And when it gets closer to release, I'll revisit the project and try to like tweak the smallest things so it sounds more in line with everything that's already made. Mm. So it's not that serious anymore. Before, I would definitely lose my mind trying to get everything perfect, <laughs> um, but not yeah, anymore. It's I, just, I do it's, that. <laughs> Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, for me, it's just when it feels right, like, okay, if I heard this on Spotify, I wouldn't want to skip it. Okay. <laughs> That's how yeah. I feel. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I've completely, like, on this latest album, the one that I was asking you for notes and shit on, by the way, I think you give some of the best feedback out of any of my friends. Thank you very much. And, um, Appreciate yeah, that. some of the most, like, productive, like, actionable, actionable feedback. I feel like sometimes I'll send it to someone and they're like, oh, yeah, I think you should just like rewrite this whole section and like the song should go like this or whatever. Whereas I feel like you will just be like, oh, okay, like just this thing's too loud, this thing's too loud, everything else is fine. And like, um, yeah, I feel like I, I, I don't even know how to tell when a song is finished anymore, to be honest. I feel like I can just continuously improve songs forever almost. Yeah, I'm. that's a definitely, I mean, that's a mindset that I had for a very long time. But you're such, you're, so I used to be like this too. You're such like a producer, producer, like perfectionist. You want it, everything to be in the pocket, very perfect. You think about so many different um, aspects of how it's going to sound to other people, to yourself in a studio, in a live setting. And you're concerned about all those things. For me, once again, as I said, it's like, do I want to skip this on Spotify? Like if it's the idea is there, the idea feels good and it doesn't sound like I want to skip it, then I think it's, it's pretty much there. Yeah. I mean, I, on this last album, actually, I've been thinking more about the song writing as well, which is over the last two, like basically since Phantasmagoria, I've been thinking more about like songwriting stuff. Um, Well, you're a great songwriter. Thanks. Likewise. You are. Yeah, you I, just get lost in your head on the technical stuff, and that's what I've true. been trying to remove myself from a little bit. Mm. What how have you found is the best way to remove yourself from that? So I had a whole, I did like a talk at a show uh, at Subtronics' festival. I had a stage there, and, and, and then uh, Protohype has his little producer's den, so I did like a producer den talk. And my whole thing was about just exploring life and exploring music and indulging yourself in things that aren't, you know, your narrow worldview, which is also kind of what my album's all about too. Um, so I just find that focusing more on the core concept and idea and if it feels warm, like a blanket almost, like this is comfortable, this, this idea is comfortable, this song is comfortable then I don't have to concern myself so much about all the details. I do do all of that. Obviously, I'm still like a manic nerd producer, and I think everything on my album sounds pretty tight 
But um, yeah, it's just it's different coming from what I was doing before, which everything was about being technical, about being correct and loud and intricate sound design and all those things and just moving away from that and to just more of a concept and idea. And if I can fulfill that concept and idea, then everything else doesn't matter so much. So I don't care. And I'd just rather move on to the next cool concept and idea and Mm. take a nap. Yeah. Yeah. It's reasonable. (laughs) Naps are good. Yeah. I mean, music is not very good at expressing something tangible. Like a man went to the store and bought chips and then came home and ate them. But it's really good at expressing emotions like uh, sadness or happiness or anything like that. And yeah, I've definitely been trying to get better at that as well. Like trying to just uh, focus on like how, how the track makes me feel more so than if the kick drum is one dB too loud or quiet or something. Exactly. It's still, it's still hard. Like, I feel like there's a point where I'm first making the tune and I'm like, all right, this feels like X, Y, Z thing. And and this feels, you know, nice. And then I'll let it like sit there for months and then come back to it and do some shit again. And then I've kind of like forgotten how I was trying to make the tune feel in the first place. So then I just like get all technical on it and start like fixing things and shit like that. But I, I definitely feel like these days I can't write a song in a day anymore or two days. I have to uh, do like sessions on it over a, over the span of like a year or something. Cause I feel like on any one day, I'm too like hyper fixated on one new production idea or something like that, or yeah. like one new plugin that I'm like overusing the fuck out of. And so I like one day I'll make it like all like the subs like way too stereo or some weird shit that I'm like all hyped on at the moment. And then yeah. a year later I'll come back and be like, what the fuck was I doing? And like fix all those. And then, but yeah. then that day I'll be like all hyper focused on like putting ratty hip hop hi hats in everything or something. Yeah. And then I'll come back a year later. Yeah. And I feel like to get not only like a solid emotional snapshot, but like also a good technical snapshot of, of my stuff it just has to span over a long period of time doing sessions like periodically, basically. So I relate to that on the technical level, which is what I was saying earlier, but I, I can't relate on the uh, uh, like emotional songwriting aspect. I feel like if I'm going to write a good song, it's going to be quick. Like the idea has to be quick. And if it's not, it'll just sit like in like my production folder forgotten for eternity. And when it's, when it's a good, so this is going back to it. So when it's a good idea and it's, it could be really rough and stuff, I bounce it out and I put it on SoundCloud so I don't forget it. Right. And I don't, uh, it's private, right? But I have a private thing and I'll like scroll through. I'm like, oh, this was a good idea. I need to go find this project and then I'll go finish it and, you know, do exactly what you said with the production notice. The, the funny that you said the stereo stuff, I have did exactly the same thing. I was like, oh, I figured out this crazy way to make the sub super stereo and collapse into mono. And then I revisited it on the album. I was like, okay, it's way too much. I need to like (laughs) hone it back in. So I relate to that heavily. But for, yeah, for songwriting, it's it's always very fast for me. Nowadays, nowadays. Mm. Yeah, no, the, the specific thing I was talking about is like for a while, I just had this idea that, I should flip stereo information on its head. So instead of having the subs all mono and like shit kind of gets wider towards the higher frequencies, I'll have like all the highs completely mono and shit gets like more stereo towards the lower frequencies. Well, you have to send me examples of this. I'm curious to sound 
see if it's super jarring or not. Yeah, it's not good. But <laughs> well, I want to hear reason, it. For some reason, on like there was a couple of weeks at one point where I started a bunch of ideas where I was like stoked on this like inverted stereo idea. Um, yeah. I mean, that's artistic in a way. I mean, for maybe one song as like a statement piece, be like, here's a cool concept that I made. Mm. That could be worth releasing. Yeah. Uh, what, are, what are you concentrating on these days other than music and the label? Are you, are you doing any other stuff? Or are you playing shows? or? Yeah, not, not a ton of shows. Most of the shows I'm playing are Halcyon shows, which I'm booking. Um, but yeah, the, the past year has just been grind, grind, grind on the label. I do a lot of the art, so a lot of the 3D graphics. I don't do any of the – well, I do some, but not all of it, the um, – final after effects editing that makes the full complete social media campaign i pay people to do that for me instead because i hate using after effects mm. but a lot of the design typography um 3d renders those 3d base animations i've been doing a lot of that the past year so that's taking up a lot of time and yeah and then working on my album i did all of the art for my album on my own, but with the help and mentorship of this artist named Cherry, who's really amazing. They're, they're A-L-E-I-T-U-N-E on Twitter. They're very dope. Um, and yeah, they mentored me on all the art uh, for my for my record and all those assets. So I, I made all that stuff. Um, it's the first thing where I didn't really like hire someone to ship off to do all the final stuff for me um, on Halcyon. So, yeah, What's I was the... doing that. And then also I just had a release party, and then I had a Halcyon party on my birthday like a month ago. So I've just been like in a grind, just Halcyon grind, album grind. So not a lot of time for any other activities. Yeah, I feel that. What's the process like for throwing a Halcyon show? Um, well... Do you like my... reach out to the venue personally and everything or...? Never, never. Um... Um, a lot of the ones that do the best are, is with like a promoter that I already know and have worked with in the past. We have a relationship and we sit down, we talk for a very long time and we like FaceTime and build out what we think the lineup should be, the budget. I'm not like a guy that's like, if you email me, it's like, oh, I need $6,000 to do a Halcyon show and this is what's going to happen. It's very collaborative. It takes time. Sometimes we do, I, sometimes I do get offers from new promoters, but most of the time those fall, fall, fall through. <laughs> Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to. I don't, know. I don't to, really know how to answer it. But then I'm, and then I'll make the ad mats and stuff too, and then send them off to the promoters, and then hopefully they can run a campaign and make the marketing campaign as well. Mm. And how are you like? I guess I'm curious on like how that works out uh, financially. Like, do you split the financial risk with the promoter, or do they sort of like front the cash for the lineup, and then, or do you just everyone on the lineup gets a split of ticket sales or something? We do guarantees, um, guarantees with bonuses, and I tend to take a very low guarantee. Well, it's not super low. I, I tend to take the highest guarantee on the lineup most most of the time, not all the time. Sometimes I'll have like a special guest artist who's obviously going to pull just as much or more than me, and I need to kind of convince them to do it. Hmm. So then they'll get a higher guarantee. But So, yeah, I take a very modest guarantee on Halcyon shows, and then we'll line up bonuses, right? So if the show does well... Say if we hit like 400, 500, 600 tickets, like we'll do lineup bonuses. And then I take all of the bonuses and that goes back into the label. Mm. What's the biggest show that you've done with Halcyon? The biggest Halcyon show? Um, 
I don't know. I can't remember. Well, the biggest one was probably just a stage at Jesse's festival because that's Jesse oh, basically I'm, doing it. Yeah, on I our mean, own. I mean, like your own. Yeah, like what's on the most own. tickets um, you've done on your own? Uh, I can't remember. I want to say off the top of my head, we did Salt Lake City with Must Die, mm -hmm. and I think that did like 700, 800 tickets. Damn, that's really good. Yeah, was that, that was a cool Sky? one. Was it? I don't Sky remember. It was with or? it was with Mutiny um, and we Mutiny Collective, and they're really cool guys, and they were super excited about the show, which made me happy. Like they're texting me like afterwards, like stoked, and that's always a good feeling. I'm mm -hmm. always super bummed. I can tell when a show is like not crushing it, and I'm always like, I'm so sorry. Like, what can I do? What can <laughs> we do to like you know make this better? That's it's really important for me that the relationship between. Me and also the label and the promoters is like intact so we can continue to like work together in the future. Mm. But yeah, that was a good one. And that lineup was Must Die, Me, Phone On, I want to say Nushi, and Sora. Oh, God, I hope I didn't forget any artists. That would be super embarrassing. <laughs> but I think that was the lineup. I'm, I'm fairly certain it was. Nice. Yeah, I'm just starting to look into doing my own shows hopefully starting next year i feel like that's kind of the next step is to start building like i my ideal lineups and my ideal shows um rather than sort of being at the whim of like whatever the promoter thinks the lineup should be in their vision uh and i find like a lot of people who do that um there's a bunch of people who are doing it who are like mega successful at it now like ganjo obviously jesse obviously um yeah. Like Jade Cicada and Tipper, Detox Unit, like that. Yeah, exactly. And I, yeah. I feel like I want to do that. Um, obviously, it probably won't be on the same size scale as that, but I think that's kind of. You work towards it, though. Yeah, you work towards it. Yeah, that. totally. I think that's like the next move, though. Is this going to be. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was done. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say that. Is that going to be like a beleagle thing or is <clears throat> it a Mr. Bill thing? Uh, that would be a Mr. Bill thing. I feel like Beleagle okay. is, like, never ever going to take off in that way because it's just such, like, it's not the kind of music that would go well in clubs and shit. It's, like, IDM, so it's all chill. It's the kind of stuff that I think if any, if it does, like, if it gets successful in any way, it's going to be, like, sync probably. Like, people yeah. syncing it for, like, games or film or commercials. Yeah. Or, like, I feel like it, that, it would make more sense for that kind of stuff than for nightclubs. Would you ever want to do like a really tiny, just like one-off club show one time, like hundred cap room in like Denver or something? I feel like that could be exciting. Yeah, I think that could work. So actually, I was talking to a friend the other day about like putting on my own shows, and he was like, "You should do a Mr. Bill IDM show at a planetarium." And he's like, "They're usually pretty small. Like you could definitely probably sell out a planetarium." And so I looked into it, and the biggest planetarium I could find around here in Atlanta was forty-six seats. <laughs> which would be the funniest like tiny ass show to throw but i mean it could be tight you know sell each ticket for like 100 bucks and play some weird little planetarium <laughs> yeah yeah dude have you seen the oh, obviously you've seen it you're in vegas the fucking sphere i think it's yeah i drive crazy. by it all the time yeah, I have not been inside yet because it's way too much money. The only is the U2 thing going on. But I was seeing the Dude, Twitter clips. I, I looked the at inside. the dates. They're playing like every night for like the next three months or something. It's insane. And it's like, what, $300 a ticket or something? <laughs> Imagine how much money they're getting paid. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, it's wild.
It's ridiculous. It's either that or this Darren Aronofsky movie. Like, that's the only two things that you can see at the Spear right now, I think. Wait, they're playing... What's What Darren Aronofsky movie? Is it the um, Boas Afraid? Or Wait, is that Darren Aronofsky? Well, I need to go on the computer. It's, like, some specific thing that I think he made for for the... Um, for the sphere. Well, oh, it all, no, no, um, I'm sorry. He, yeah, he made The Whale and Requiem for a Dream and Black Swan. Yeah, okay, never mind. Who am I thinking of who, who did uh, Bo Was Afraid? I'm sorry, poor directors. And I call my, oh, that's Ari Aster. Mm. That's yeah, well, it's not that. It's like, I think yeah, something not, that yeah. he made specifically for the sphere. Apparently, the it runs 16K video. So even... Sounds right. Getting content made for that shit would be insanely difficult, and I don't understand. Like, if I don't know, maybe if, if I don't know if YouTube has like gotten all the content made for it, or if they're just running like Sphere content that they just made specifically for the Sphere. That's a good question. I, I think it'd be kind of lame if I mean it's probably both. Probably their teams probably are like, hey, we'll try to get some stuff on our end, and then also you can you know share some of the OG. Sphere showcase stuff that you want to do. I, I'd imagine that's what it is, but I don't know. Mm, I mean, you two definitely have enough money to make 16K video content. Well, yeah, and also look at how many shows they're playing. Their their budget for it is probably out of this world. Yeah, dude, imagine being that big that you could just play at the, like, one venue that's just massive, like, say, Red Rocks or something, just every fucking night for, like, three months. That's basically what they're doing. <laughs> that is what they're doing. Well, actually... I think wow. is this how the sphere might be even bigger than it is. Red yeah, it's six, sixteen thousand people. Red Jeez, Rocks is it's like twice the size of Red Rocks. Yeah, Red Rocks is ninety five hundred. I think. Yeah. Have you played Red Rocks before? Yeah, yeah. I opened up where I was uh, support for um, Sudden Death. Yeah. Cool. Did you have a good yeah. time? I had an amazing time. Yeah. Yeah, that venue it was my is first so show. much fun. Yeah, it was my first show after COVID. And I played a bunch of weird music. I don't know if people resonated with it or not, but I don't know. It was fun. And it was definitely a nice breakup between all of the everyone else playing hard dubstep and then yeah, right. played, middle set. Who played before and after you there? Oh, there was so, he, he booked so many people. I don't want to forget anybody. Um, I remember, I think, oh, God, I'll look it up because I don't want to. Uh, red Rock Sudden Death. Because I don't want to leave anybody out. That would be so so rude. I'm going to pull it up. I'm pulling it up. Oh, here. I found it. It was Neonix, B2B Sizzy, Fizo, Ominous, Me, Space Laces, and then Sudden Death. Damn, Space Laces is so sick. Space Laces is one of the best. <clears throat> yeah, why is he so good at producing? Like, what is it that you think that makes him just, like, so much better than everyone? You know the story that I told you. You already know, and I know you mentioned it on a podcast. I don't All know right, what it please. is now. He's just, um, yeah. He was, he was okay. The TLDR was that he was pushed by a friend in his hometown to like just keep getting better, keep getting better, because he couldn't, you know, make his friend happy. All That's right, and like the me. and the friend like didn't even make music or something. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was like, so "Nah, funny. you can do better. You can do better." So he kept trying to do better. Um, but uh, no, he's just been producing for a very long time. He was like a new, producing stuff on Newgrounds and then SoundCloud. He's just he's just a brilliant mind, and really is comfortable and in, in his DAW and the master of his craft and his tools. And yeah, what what DAW does he use? Do you know? FL, but he can use whatever because he's just once again a brilliant mind. But yeah, FL is the main DAW. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I feel like FL kind of like 
has this just meaty sound to it. I don't know what it is, but like every time I hear someone making shit in FL, like if we're doing a collab, they'll send me a render of their thing and it sounds like meaty and then they'll send me stems of it and I'll put them into Ableton and it instantly sounds less meaty for some reason. Yeah, this is a thing. I'm not exactly sure what it is. Maybe it's the way the... Um... They've just got like OTT built into every channel and you're like, can't turn it off. Yeah, I think it's the it's their plug the way their plugins work, uh, like their stock plugins work. Maybe the way their sliders work. Maybe the way it kind of forces you into routing things in a certain way. Um, it also, I think it... Another thing, it might um, be so simplified that it forces you to choose like just better samples rather than spending like an hour trying to make a, like a sample better. I don't know. I don't know mm. the logic of why FL sounds better, but I, yeah, I've noticed this and a lot of people have noticed this as well. It's a, yeah, it's a mean, real thing. I made a song in FL once and it sounded worse than a song I would make in Ableton just because I don't really know how to use FL, but it... I feel like there was some aspects of it though that like I would just touch like one or two things and be like, oh wow, that like sounds pretty good already. And but yeah, I did not have a good good time using it. I used it for like I, I was supposed to. So me and Ben Jordan were gonna make like complimentary videos. He was gonna do one where he like used Ableton and like compared it against FL, and then I was gonna do like the opposite, like use FL and compare it against Ableton. And I used it for like. I don't know, two weeks straight in COVID trying to like learn it and making some songs in it and stuff. And by the end of it, I decided not to make the video because I think that what would have happened is I would have been like, well, you see, it probably could use this or that. And like, it doesn't have this that Ableton has. And like, I don't like this about it. And I just know the comments would have been full of people being like, you're a fucking dumbass that like definitely would, has that. <laughs> it would have turned into you just complaining about FL. About time. things that like have solutions that I just don't yeah. know about. Yeah. yeah. Um, the thing that I understand why you would hate it and which is why I hate using it is because all of the MIDI stuff has to be like in its own pattern. So you have to, if you want to make a new pattern, if you want to copy and like make the smallest adjustment, you have to right click and make unique. And then if you ever want to find a pattern, you have to scroll through the pattern menu and find the one you wanted. And for people like us who just like to be super immediate and make lots of small micro adjustments all the time, it feels like such a chore, like pulling teeth to make a song in that program. I don't know if you found that way, but that's how I feel when I work in it. Yeah, which probably means that it just like lends itself to a slightly different way of thinking when writing and like a slightly different workflow and stuff. But yeah, I do notice that actually whenever I'm collaborating with someone in FL, I'm like, oh, yeah, so now just make that last thing like, you know, this and it should be like take it should take like a second. And then they have to, yeah, like go to the mixer and like plug some shit in. Yeah, like, do all this shit, and I'm like, you make the new. Pa yeah. Yep. Um, Cool. So what are you working on now that you've finished your album? Are you making more stuff? Or are you taking a break? Or Definitely going to take a break. I have, well, right now I'm doing this, uh, working on this set with Automate for Summoning Festival, which is Sudden Death's Festival, which is going to happen. I don't know when this airs, but it's happening this weekend. Oh, cool. Where is it? Um, it's in Tennessee, Pelham, Tennessee. It's like part cool. of it's in a cave and then part of it's like in a big field. Oh, uh, yeah. The caverns. Yeah, the caverns. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, I've so never I'm working been there. on. Have, have you been there before? Yeah, I've played there two, thrice, twice, thrice. I don't know. Is it I've sick? played there a few times. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing. I've never seen um, it before, but I've heard good things. Yeah, it's really great. I'm sure you'll get out there soon. Um, yeah, it's awesome. So yeah, I just did. I just got back from the show I did in Los Angeles that I that I w was working on. 
that I like co through and how to make a set for. And then, yeah, I'm, as soon as I got back, I'm just writing more music and trying to collaborate with uh, Automate on making a bunch of original stuff. Like, uh, so we have at least six or seven, you know, collabs together. Nice. And then I'm also going to try to make some new music for that. But I don't think a lot of that music that I'm going to make, um, I mean, Ali Samayan is probably going to come out. It's just stuff that we want to have a really banger set and just a lot of good ammunition for that, that, that set. So that's what I'm doing right now. And then after that, probably going to do work on one more Halcyon release, maybe two. And then I'm taking off as long as I can because I'm just so <laughs> burnt out from working on stuff for the past year. It's been a, it's been a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that it's, it's definitely important to take breaks or if you're not taking breaks to pace yourself. Yeah. Burnout is for sure a real thing. Have you had any like solid burnouts yet in your career where you've just been like, I can't do it for like a couple of Many months? times. And I'm like currently in one right now, but I have to keep yeah. chugging through it because I have <laughs> things expected of me that have to get done. So that's what I'm saying. I'm just powering through it, doing my best, going to take some time off. And then hopefully after the time's off, I'm going to feel inspired again. And I know I will. Because I'm going to, you know, live life and enjoy things and then I'm going to feel inspired. Mm, yeah, totally. Yeah, I need to do the same at some point, to be honest. <laughs> are you I, feeling, are you like in a grind right now? Like, what are you grinding on? Well, I just finished my album and I'm still technically grinding on it because now I'm going back and forth with my mastering engineer a shit ton to try and get all the yeah. mixes finished. Yeah. Um, we're doing stem mastering actually because we, we did a once over on the whole album uh, on the stereo pre-masters and just couldn't get them to a level that I was happy with. So I sent him all the stems and now we're doing stem masters. So what's different between a stem master and the mix? So uh, a regular master, you just send the stereo wave and then, yeah, they just, and then they just master that. A stem master, you send them the stems. So like the drums separated from the bass, separated from the synths, yeah. separate. Like you just send them like 10 stems. And then that way they can, essentially I think they still master it like they would a stereo wave, but if anything like pops out, like uh, the hi-hats start to get too bright or the kick is like getting in the way a bit because it's not like hitting the limit, it's hitting the limiter too much or something, then they can go into the stems and like fix those problems at like at a stem level rather than having to sort of try to fix it on the master. So it's kind of in between a mix down and a master. It's like <clears throat> the gray area in between. Yeah, pretty much. It's not a okay. full mix down, obviously, because the mix downs yeah. are done. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, there's something also about like the the mastering process when you add like analog stuff into it i just like what it does to the to the sound a lot like it just glues shit together a bit better i think it yeah. just sounds like a little bit media and yeah just it, it just like sounds that like 10 percent extra polish that makes my it like peaks my brain or ears in a certain way to be like oh yeah that sounds like a finished tune now yeah yeah i kind of think i might want to eventually invest in some uh hardware i was chatting with jim spoonbill who's staying here at the moment and he's got like a bunch of hardware and he was like showing me a bunch of shit last night but i was looking at it all being like oh man if i like want to get just a basic like mastering grade setup it's like 10 grand minimum like for starters you need like epic converters because obviously yeah you need something to clock all of the gear because if you don't clock the gear properly when you like record back in to your DAW from the gear, 
you will never get like it won't be it won't be the same tempo it'll be like 100 milliseconds off or something yeah. like it'll yeah so you got to get like a crazy good clock a really good converter um which just just there just to get the signal out to the shit is like five grand and then every piece of gear you add is like another five or ten grand well doesn't your interface have all that don't you have like a really nice interface that has great converters and a great clock or it's not really good enough though for for mastering yeah for analog? mastering okay. yeah you want to have like just absolutely zero loss when going out and back in okay yeah. And apparently for that, you just need crazy good converters, which like the head, the one that I would probably get is the Crane Song Head Quantum, which is like five grand or something. But that has a clock oh, wow. in it as well. So it's kind of like both. Yeah. You get both at yeah. the same time. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. what you need. And then how, how would you route that in then? So do you use your interface or do you bypass I all that? I think you would go digitally from your interface to the to the DA converter or the okay. DAAD yeah. converter. Yeah. And then from there you would start going into other pieces of gear and then you would go back into that, I think. And then that would go digitally AD. back into yeah. the sound card. So Interface. no conversion is happening from the sound card. It's just like all digital up until that point. Uh, so the, does on. that mean you go through line? What like, do you mean? Or, or like, um, how do you go into your interface then? Because your interface is going to have preamps. So you have like you have like line, like no preamp, just straight line on your interface, right? Uh, no, you would you would go out of your interface digitally. So oh, with like a like an optical. A, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That would oh, okay. Go, okay. I get it. I get sure. it. I get it. Okay. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. 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 Okay. And that way, like your, your sound card's not doing any of the conversion or clocking. Yes. It's like all happening from like a way more high quality thing that's specifically just built for that. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, my speakers at this point are all digital too. I use the key threes. And so I go digital out of my sound card into the key controller, which is just like a little monitor controller. Mm. And then out of the key controller with Ethernet into one speaker and then Ethernet from one speaker to the other. So one is kind of like the leader and the other one is the follower. And yeah. Um, and then the only like conversion. Link. Yeah. And the only conversion that happens is it happens in the speaker, I guess, like the converter is in the speaker. Um, which is kind of cool. Do you know anything about, um, is it Maddie or there's like this signal thing that I was like reading about the other day. Is it Maddie? Yeah. Is it? I don't know. It's like this carries multi. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, <clears throat> probably not the person to talk to about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not a total audio guru. I'm my little home studio. Yeah, I, I still, try a little bit. I try to keep it good, you know. Do you still have that synth that I gave you? The little core Oh, thing? somewhere. I don't know. I, I mean, I've moved, so it might be in a box. But, yes, I remember I was having so much fun in a little studio session with it, <laughs> just trying to break it as much as I could and get the craziest noise. There's, like, what, two, three knobs on it? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. little – I can't remember what it is. It's like a Korg something. It's a Korg. It was, like, battery-powered Korg guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank Dude, you for that gift, man. Yeah, that. of course. Dude, my new favorite thing is um, the Polyan Tracker. Have you used one of these? Oh, my God. That's a toy. I just don't have money to buy, like, a it's $700 so tracker. Sick. I know. I want it. Like, dude, because, I mean, you hear on my record, I'm, like, making all these, like, jungle and breaks yeah. tracks. And that's exactly what I, w I would love to have a Polyan and just, you know, do it the legit way. If you, get one, if you get one, get the Tracker Mini. Don't get the big one. Don't get the bit. Okay, why? What's better about the mini one? Uh, it's or got a more powerful chip in it. It's smaller. It has a battery in it. it has a microphone on it. It um, 
like everything is better about it, basically. So there's one must I was telling about that's like it looks like a Game Boy. I forget the name of it. Is it the dirty the dirty wave tracker by M8? I think it's M8. Yeah, I think it's M8. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It looks like a Game Boy. It like there's like only a few buttons on it. It's, it looks very minimal. That, that's yeah. why I was like, I don't know about this one. He's like, No, dude, I have both. Like this is the one that you want because he just apparently makes just bangers on the plane. Yeah, dude, like that's what I, was, I I traveled this weekend and I had the Tracker Mini for the first time, and it was so much fucking fun to play with on the plane, and like it felt like no time had passed at all. And then I was just landing and I was like, Oh, what? this is sick. Yeah, I'm, I was super, and then I was at the festival even. And I was like not socializing with anyone or watching any music. I was just in the like artist area, just fucking around with the tracker. <laughs> I was like so stoked. And what I did actually is I used the microphone on it. Like every time a new set would start, I would go and just record like 15 seconds through the microphone of the next person's set and then use that sample to like add to the track that I was making. So I made this track that's just like record, like made from recordings of like 20 people's sets but just like 15 second recordings of 20 people's sets that's so cool i mean so i've been doing a lot of that now too is like moving a lot i'm trying to move farther away from playing with like synths and like making crazy synth patches which is what i did most of my career yeah and trying to just sample like bizarre things and just manipulate them into something on like uh, unrecognizable there's a, a vst called radio do you know about this? Yeah, I do. Yeah, actually, the yeah. Polyan has a radio on it. So it has a radio on it too. Yeah, so you can sample directly from the radio. Oh yeah, I remember that. It does. Yeah, so that was a big selling point on it to me too. But um, I love the radio because um, it has all these like weird state. Like it's not like an AM FM radio. It's all these weird satellite stations. I don't even know how. I don't know if it's legal. Like how the, the program is also like ten bucks to buy. So anyone yeah, listening, yeah. <laughs> anyone's a cool sampling source. It's ten bucks. It's on what Plugin Boutique, Plugin Alliance, one of those people. Yeah, Plugin Boutique, I think. Yeah, Plugin Boutique, and it's like ten, fifteen bucks. Totally worth it. You get access to like all these radios, and they're, they're sorted by genre. There's like, it's by, like, I think it's by Plugin Boutique. Yeah, it's thirty bucks. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that's totally worth it though. Yeah. And um, I so I found out about it from some random YouTube channel that had like forty views, and was just watching him run it through like just plain audio from radio running it through like a like basically a real-time pulse stretch and then like also granulizing it which is like this generative like wall of sound that was just gorgeous basically ambient music that was just making itself and i was like wow this is amazing so i went because <laughs> oh, i was like streaming in real time from the yeah radio. streaming in the audio and then this real-time pulse stretch thing it's called spectral stretch it's a max for live device and you can set it you can give it a buffer of how long it wants to like start recording again and yeah you can like do that and then also you can like obviously use all the max for live devices like lfo and um what's it called the control expression control and use random and you can change like the buffer size and the stretch amount and the denoise denoise basically makes it like super not it's a smear amount right like how much you spear the harmonics and all that have and you ever checked out the website radio.com it's got like five o's on it no <laughs> Dude, it's sick. So you can go, like, it shows you a map of the world and you can click, like, anywhere on the map to go to a country or, an, or a region and then you can select, like, the time period. So you can select, like, the 30s or the 50s or the 60s, 70s, 80s, etc. And it will, like, play you something random from, like, what they were playing on the radio around that time. Whoa. 
That's another great sample source then. Wow, that you tapped me in. And then you could just run that through Audacity and capture audio, yeah. uh, capture the audio that way. Exactly. Yeah. Or, if, I mean, I use an RME sound card and it has, like, loopback on the main output. Yeah, so you can just put and it then, straight into Ableton. Yeah, yeah, and then I just take the input in Ableton from, like, 13 and 14 and just comes in on a channel. Yeah, I have a twin, and I need to get rid of this eventually because the drivers I fucking just hate the Apollos, man. Dude, the drivers are just there's I don't know what's up with them, man. I love the converters. I love how everything sounds. I love the way my my mic comes in through it. I love the way my speakers sound, but the drivers are just a mess. Like yeah. working with them inside my computer. Yeah. No, if you're on Windows, you definitely want the RME drivers. They're definitely the best ones. I've been yeah. through so many fucking sound cards, like pretty much all of the sound cards. <laughs> And yeah. Um, yeah, when I finally got an RME, I was like, I haven't needed another one since. You're like, this is it. I, yeah. We finally did it. It just, it works. Yeah. Like, it's good. Sound card um, utopia. Yeah. Every time I like go to someone's studio and they have an Apollo and I'm like, oh, okay, we just need to like route something here. They like open up the Apollo thing and I'm like, it should be as simple as just like clicking this, but then like nothing fucking works. Yeah. The, In fact, it's so bad for me right now that I think my control panel like doesn't even open. It's bad. It's hard. And I've like updated it. So, yeah, I need to get rid of this. I'm yeah. sorry, UAD, if they're listening. <laughs> I, Make I, your drivers better. UAD <laughs> makes some good shit. I'm running actually my mic through a UAD Solo 610 right now, which is pretty solid. Um, do you use the UAD plugins as well or? Um, not really, no, because mm. I really... I they're really nice, though. They are really nice, but, I mean, some of the stuff that piques my interest a lot, I just have the digital versions I think are better. So, so my big... So I sold, so I had a Distressor, an EL8X, sold that because I got the um, IK Multimedia one, the Compressor, mm. and I think it sounds about... You, you were saying 10% better. I yeah. think this sounds about 90% as good, right? but I don't have to route anything, plug anything in, and it's stereo. I had one, right? <laughs> so I can put it on all these tracks and all these channels. I was like, okay, I'm selling this guy, and I'm just using this this unit, and I and I love it. That's like one of my main... If I want like some colorful compression, that's my go-to for everything now. Comprexor? And then Comprexor. Comprexor. It's by IK Multimedia, I believe. Does that come with their mix box thing? Because I have that. It's it's some weird suite, and it, you, you it make, forces you to install all the plugins. So I just went Comprexa. in, man yeah. I just manually nice. deleted everything that I didn't have a license for. Mm. Um, and then yeah, I'm using True Iron a lot too. Yeah, you, you got me about onto this. that. I got it. Yeah, it's nice. And you said there was a better one that's better than True Kelvin. Iron. Kelvin. Kelvin, I need yeah. to cop that. Yeah, I'd love to play with yeah, that. By, so um, Kelvin by who's a. Um, tone by tone projects dude actually these these people also make this thing called baseline pro and it's like really solid for like making stereo bass shit that actually makes sense and compacts down to mono nicely and stuff so going so, back to like what we we're saying earlier about that if you want to do that that's a good one to do i with. have this crazy trick that i saw from quiston that he made in patcher and i like recreated it i'll show you like exactly later but basically what I do, it's like, so it's kind of like the Haas, like, you know, like how, like, um, polyverse wider works, right? It's like the Haas effect where you like delay it and then you like make a copy and invert the left side. I, right? I and, think and the, back in. the way that, um, wider works though, is it, uh, takes the mid and the side, I believe, and it makes little, 
um, peaks in the frequency spectrum on either side, I believe. Oh, I don't know then. But the way you can get a good like Haas effect that's monocompatible is you just make a duplicate and invert the left side and then delay that one by how like however amount and then have the one that's stereo, which might be actually that. It might be creating a mid-side and then it collapses back in. I think, yeah. I, I think, I, I think I've given you my rack that does yeah, this. Yeah, I use it all the time. Okay, it's yeah. It's called so that's that one. wide with like 15 E's on the end. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so the other, this other version that I've been using on, on a sub um, is the same concept, but instead of using delay, you'd use, you use phase shift. So I would use like the M freeform phase and just draw a bunch of squiggles. And I would use the stereo imager to make sure that it's not leaning too far to left and just have all these squiggles until it was like still correct. And you would get the most gigantically wide sound you've ever heard in your entire life. Damn. And it collapses perfectly back into mono. Should send me that. I will send it to you. Yeah. It's, okay. I call it like, a, I think it's called like Jersey stereo. Cause I was making, trying to make like Jersey kicks. <laughs> And I wanted them to be like giant because that's like the whole song. Mm. So I just made that rack for it, which um, was inspired by a, a Quiston Patcher preset. Dude, yeah, Melda makes the craziest shit, honestly. By far. Yeah, their their plugins. Uh, I think if you have their suite and you like know how to use it to its full extent, you don't need anything else. You don't need anything else. And, and, and it's like you think you know the program, and it's like, oh, just kidding. It actually goes way deeper. You open up the toolbar. Or like if you go into like your right click menu on like the points and like start using the shapes and stuff, you just yeah. it's like a whole world. And then of you're like, insanity. oh wait, if I just click this other thing now, I can write syntax in here to like develop my own reverb algorithm. No, no, so that, yeah, I would I dove into that too. I was starting to like I was reading the manual and trying to make my own reverbs, and I have a bunch of them I've actually made and saved, but um, um, that was on trial, so I need to buy it. Mm. Just don't have the loot right now because it's that's a pro verb, right? And I think that's like two hundred fifty bucks or something. Tur M turbo turbo verb tur turbo yeah. verb yeah turbo yeah turbo yeah that thing is insane yeah if you read and the also, syntax it's like you can write these like lines yeah. of like formulas yeah. to make your own reverb. Yeah, so I was learning that for like a couple weeks and made a few. But I, also, I really like it to make like dubstep. There's like a randomize function in there, mm. and you can just have like this like this simple kind of like um like gun set like a like a the dubstep gun, and you just randomize, and it'll start like it'll make these nice comey convolutiony. It's not convolution obviously because it's uh, algorithmic, but it gets these nice comey metallic sounds sometimes. Mm. And you just don't have to do any work. You just land on the one you want. You're like, okay, this is it. This is the gun sound, some <laughs> saturation. And it's like the most amazing tool for not only for making reverbs, but also for making, you know, metallic sounds as well. Because mm. that's what is that? That's what reverb, like now algorithmic <laughs> reverb is at the end of the day. It's like all pass filters and delays and yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, sick, man. I'm going to go get some dinner. But um, yeah, thanks for doing the podcast. And uh, I guess you should plug your album. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, first of all, thanks for having me on. And I'm sorry I'm a little late. It's all good. So thank you for moving it. <laughs> I love you, Mr. Bill. Yeah, you too, man. Hopefully, <laughs> Actually, I'm playing a show in Vegas on Halloween. Um, oh, I saw. Um, with G. With, Jones, um, Sam Galeatry, Imanu. Imanu, yeah. yeah. Well, hit me up, dude. Let's get dinner. Are you going to be in Vegas? I'm going to be in town. Hell I'm yeah. I'm going to be in town. Yeah, let's yeah. hang out. And I know, I know Jesse's playing too, so maybe we can all coordinate something like a big Subtronics? dinner. Subtronics? Yes, yeah. He's playing on the same night? 
Yes. It'll be fine. Uh, it'll be fine. Don't worry. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's going to be yeah. a big night. You're playing at Area 15. Yeah. Don't worry. Don't stress uh, yeah, out. The, it's um, going to be a good show. The, the, the show is called Scaria 51. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't think too hard on that one, did they? No. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, I'll plug my album really quick. Um, yeah, I just released an album. It's called Be Curious. It's 14 tracks. I have some collabs on it. Um, I have a vocal feature from Kate Fujimoto, a vocal feature from Jed Will. I have a collab with Automate. I have a collab with Flood. And I don't think I'm forgetting anybody. And it's very like diverse music. So maybe there's something on there that you, you'll like if you know, there's got to be at least one thing I would hope, you know, maybe. Go check out Bathtub Marlboro. Is that your favorite one? <laughs> it's the one that like the I name? just saw you posted on SoundCloud the other day. Oh, okay. And I just, yeah, I like the name and the picture. It's like you in a bathtub <laughs> with a Marlboro. <laughs> <laughs> in a rubber ducky yeah. <laughs> on my chest. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I hope you guys, people check it out and let me know. If, if you, you know, I'm at, at Ulasai on thingies. So. And also, thank you for listening. And also, thank you for listening to the Mr. Build podcast. This is a great show, and I'm happy to be on here. Sick. Well, thanks, man. Well, um, yeah, I appreciate everything, and uh, chat to you soon. Talk soon, brother. Let's play some Counter-Strike. Fuck yeah. Yo, what's up? Thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. This show is produced and edited by Robert Fumo. You can get early access to the show by going to my website, mrbillstunes.com and paying me instead of Patreon. And remember to go rate and review on iTunes or I'm going to come to your house and punch your dog in the throat, upper deck your toilet and fuck your partner. Note, I may or may not do those last couple of things. Uh, You should probably just go rate it on iTunes or Spotify or whatever it is that you listen to the podcast on because it really helps the podcast. Um, But but just know that, that it'll go a long fucking way to me not doing those things if you do go do that. So uh, just just putting that out there. I know what I-